The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, IGN's weekly PlayStation show covering all the latest and greatest in the world of PlayStation. Even if they didn't show up to E3, we've still got a lot to talk about when it comes to PlayStation. I'm joined this week to discuss it all by Mitchell Saltzman. Hello, hello. Hey, Mitchell. Lucy O'Brien as well. Not as much as Xbox. Not as much as, like, Unlocked has got to talk about, though. Hey, like, we're, we're a little bit like, <laughs> you know, we've, we've been throwing some scraps and we're like, Let's let's talk about it for an hour. Feed us PlayStation. No, it's not it's not great right now. And we're also joined this week by Max Scoville. Hey everybody, happy to be here. Happy to have you here as well on this day after E3. And none of us had to take a flight. Uh, we're, of course, going to jump into, despite PlayStation not being at E3, there are still a lot of games that will be on PlayStation that we're going to talk about um, in, in the uh, episode to come. But we're also going to jump into a little bit of discussion about, uh, you know, PlayStation's choice not to be at E3 again this year. Obviously, they skipped 2019. Everyone skipped 2020 because it didn't happen uh, in all senses of that uh, phrase. And uh, a bit more. Before we get into it, though, I do want to do a very quick sort of news crunch because uh there's there's actually been a lot of other stuff going on but we have so many games to talk about i just briefly wanted to mention one uh i did an interview with the heads of deviation games uh dave anthony and jason blundell uh, as well as herman holst from playstation uh talking about their new partnership which was announced at jeff Keeley's uh kickoff live i think was what that show was called uh we talked a bit about their partnership why they wanted to partner with playstation uh, how PlayStation treats its partners, because Herman has talked recently a lot about, you know, treating these partners like they would treat any of the first party studios uh, and a bit more. It was a really fun discussion. And I think you should definitely go uh, check out those, the interview. Those guys are, they worked on Call of Duty Zombies a lot, right? Yeah. Um, one of them was, I believe, director on Black Ops 1 and 2, and the other was the co-creator of Zombies. Yeah, they have a lot of, you know, story okay. history. I've, um, I've definitely interviewed them at Comic-Con, and I think it was specifically about like the weirdest corners of that. Like talking about like, oh, you, you Jeff Goldblum's a magician and you're fighting, you know, <laughs> robot zombies on the Titanic or whatever. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what they do. It, it was a really interesting discussion because they they're actually like lifelong friends. They've been friends since they were like 16 years old, like teenagers. And they were talking about how they always like dreamed of being able to have their own studio like that. Ever since they've been wanting to get into game design, they wanted to have their own project and do their own thing. And so they were like, we loved working within, obviously, you know, a, a big franchise like Call of Duty and what those constraints kind of allow you to do and get creative in. But they're they're really excited about doing something themselves that they create the constraints for. So we'll see what it is. 
Um, but yeah, in addition to that, also just wanted to mention, uh, there was news in the past week, as if this week wasn't busy enough, that Cyberpunk 2077 will return on the PSN on June 21st. Uh, this is, of course, still the PS4 version. And in fact, the announcement... Uh, comment i believe from playstation was like you should probably play this on a ps4 pro or playstation 5 you should not play it on the base playstation 4 basically um we're still waiting on next gen versions for those games of course but yeah that will we'll continue to cover that as uh we hear more about whatever the next gen version of that game is uh and psvr is allegedly hitting in holiday 2022 uh so next year this is from a report from bloomberg so we may see that next gen vr headset pretty early in uh the life cycle of the ps5 as opposed to psvr i think hitting three years into the life of the ps4 but yeah we'll we'll obviously touch on that more when we see the psvr uh two and whatever they call it but there are a ton of <clears throat> excuse me playstation games to talk about from e3 even though PlayStation wasn't there. Um, so I thought the maybe best way to, to cover this would be, excuse me, I had to clear my throat, would be to kind of mention a few of the big ones and also just get a sense of where you all are most excited about some of the games that we saw. Um, so briefly, I want to start off on Final Fantasy Origin. Uh, strange, is it Strangers in Paradise? Strangers of Paradise? I don't have the full title in front of me. But um, this is a Final Fantasy game that was rumored uh, before E3 kind of got leaked ahead of time, that is essentially a Souls-like-ish take on Final Fantasy. It's from Team Ninja. If you're watching the video version, you would have just seen their their logo pop up. Uh, and so it's sort of been described as like a Neo-esque take on Final Fantasy. Uh, there's been a demo that was released on PlayStation 5 specifically, but uh, like the trailer says uh, quite often, chaos reigned. Uh, and the demo, was un- <laughs> the demo was unplayable for like two or three days, uh, and unfortunately. Uh, it's now since been updated. It's not corrupted anymore. You can go play it. I've played a little bit of it. Mitchell, I know you've played a bit, so I want to start off with you. What, what did you think of the demo? I actually played a lot of it. Um, <laughs> trying to capture a, a clean run where I, I did not die took me quite a while, actually. Um, but yeah, it's... So it's exactly what it kind of advertises itself as. It, this is a Team Ninja take on Final Fantasy. And if you're familiar with Neo, you know what Team Ninja doing a, a Souls-like kind of looks like. Um, but this this has a, a couple of really unique aspects to it. There's no stamina meter for one. Um, so you can kind of just wail on, on enemies without having to worry too much about you know tiring yourself out. Um, like most Team Ninja games, I feel like you kind of have to understand how to play this game in order to have fun with it. Um, and I think the key to understanding it is the fact that uh, you have like this parry button um, that basically allows you to parry mostly any attack. There's a couple of unblockable attacks, but um, if you parry an attack, it kind of depletes this meter that you have at the bottom. And if that meter gets depleted, you get staggered. So you, you basically are, are down for a free hit. Um, and so it's kind of about balancing that level of defense with, you know, still being able to, you know, use all your own abilities that also take magic. It's, there's a lot going on here, but, uh, once you figure it out, I feel like it is, the combat is pretty fun. Um, but you know, it is, it's, it's just an early demo. It really does feel like this is the kind of thing that you would be playing at E3 if you were on the show floor. So it was a little rough. The frame rate wasn't completely solid. Um, but I'm interested in this. I think it's got a really cool job system that it's taking from the, the final fantasy RPGs and putting it into a souls like, so you can basically level up a certain job 
and you can get skills on a skill tree. And then once you get to the bottom of that skill tree, you unlock a new a new set for that job. So you go from swordsman and then you get to the bottom and you can unlock the warriors, the warrior job, which has its own skill tree. But once you switch to that class, you kind of reset your stats. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to, you know, build a new tree that's going to eventually be better than the swordsman class. But you have to kind of, you know, work with that early process of being a little weaker than you would normally be. Um, so, yeah, it's fun. I uh, I think this game has a lot of potential and I really I'm really excited to see uh, how it develops the story. They, they don't really they don't really do much with the story other than, you know, uh, chaos. I uh, must kill chaos. I am chaos. chaos. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, yeah. I, I was going to ask yeah. Mitchell, how, where does it sit tonally? You know, um, Final Fantasy is uh, tonally, uh, to me, quite distinct. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, I don't automatically pair it up with the souls like, right. Um, it's a very kind of different property in my mind. Um and obviously, you know, just looking at this footage that we're seeing now, it looks very sort of uh, moody and dark. And of course, you know, that that is all part of Final Fantasy as well. But Final Fantasy is also quite silly and mm-hmm. um, extremely, I'm saying over the top. And then I'm looking at this footage and it looks extremely over the top. But yeah, I guess my question is like, totally, what's, it, what's, what's the vibe? It feels dark. Um, there's no joy. <laughs> there's no joy in this game. Um, but... You know, it, it is kind of that weird, uh, you know, juxtaposition because you do have like these really menacing looking creatures. You're grabbing wolves by the by the jaw and like breaking their their bones uh, when they try to bite you. Um, but then you also have cactuars. You have these little weird, weird right. uh, cactus men that, you know, are like this and just have the same expression shooting little cactus spines at you. So there is there is that kind of weird whiplash. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious to see how the the actual full game develops that. But this this was was pretty much all one one speed and it was just kind of dark. So (laughs) I messed around with the demo a little bit. Um, This is a Mitchell Saltzman ass game for sure. Mm -hmm. This is a this is a Mitchell Saltzman ass game for sure. Um, (laughs) It's weird. I'm I definitely I wasn't wild about it. One thing I, I was hearing is that like it's people are saying it's like set at the end of final fantasy one. Like it's definitely, it's, it's in there's, I haven't, I haven't played final fantasy one, which I think yeah, came because, out like I mean, Garland is the last boss of final fantasy one, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. Like spoilers uh, for a you know, thing that came out when Reagan was president <laughs> or whatever. But, um, uh, it's, it's weird because like, I, you know, Nomura said like, it's, it might, you know, it might not look like final fantasy, but the blood is in its veins. And I'm like, well, that, you know, you you can have a blood transfusion that doesn't affect your appearance or personality. Like this is definitely feels like more of a Team Ninja game than a Final Fantasy game, right? I think mm-hmm. you know the addition of stuff like Cactuars and like the job system is really cool. Um, yeah, this I feel like if you didn't tell me this was Final Fantasy, I would I would probably never guess. I mean, you know, unless you saw a, a Cactuar or whatever. But like it's it's seems so much like a you know a Neo or a, a Devil May Cry type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's I mean, I don't I, I want to see what it's like if this if this is late game. I mean, this is obviously a demo. This isn't the entire world. But like if there's, you know, more colorful areas, uh, you know, maybe something more nature than like a big uh, wrought iron castle. You know, like it's it's just um, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I'll if I'll go with it. Like, I, I'm curious what what it is lengthwise, because it's a you know, Final Fantasy games are usually 
what, like 70 150 hours? 150 hours. Yeah, yeah they're, they're up there. <laughs> Neo, and like, Neo games are pretty lengthy, too. They can yeah. get, like, upwards of 40 to 50 hours. Yeah. Okay, well. On the first yeah. playthrough. Be interesting. I guess I, I just more, I normally associate action games with being a little more, um, you know, a little shorter. Yeah, I mean, from, from yeah. you know, from Soulsborne games are kind of different because there is there is a fair amount of grinding. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. I, I do think that the the Final Fantasy aspects of this kind of play out in interesting ways. Like enemies have like little attack names that pop up when they're about to use an ability, which is kind of cool. So you can know like what what you need to do to avoid it. Um, and then yeah, like the it's being a mage is is pretty cool because you bring up a like when you're charging a spell, you bring up a radial wheel that lets you choose what element you want to use. And then when you, the more you hold it down, you go from like fire to Fira to Faraga. Um, so that the way the way the, the Final Fantasy aspects manifest in this game are actually pretty neat. It, it yeah, reminds okay. me of I'm intrigued. It reminds me of Revengeance, <laughs> um, like Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, which was, mm-hmm. you know, Kojima basically passing the, the yeah. franchise over to, to Platinum. And then they made a Platinum game that had enough Metal Gear sprinkled on top of it. But it was totally its own thing. Like it was it was not even trying to be a stealth game. Um, this yeah. kind of feels like the same thing where it's like this is a Team Ninja game like through and through. It just happens to have some, you know, Final Fantasy cosplay going on. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. That is that is exactly what like this game is this game is the final fantasy what Metal Gear rising was to Metal Gear solid it feels like yeah that, that feels like a really good shot i only played maybe like a half hour 45 minutes of the demo but i was yeah i was enjoying the gameplay if not feeling very overwhelmed by all of it as you were saying michelle like there's a lot to grasp even even after it runs you through some tutorial stuff i was kind of like felt like it was just throwing so much of the gameplay at you and obviously it wants to give you a taste of of what the full game is and it's a demo so who knows how it'll play out in the full game but um i like i was intrigued by it enough to to want to see the full thing more i do agree with you it was definitely running a little rough it's a demo um but yeah i do hope to max's point we see more like colorful areas because what i was seeing was very dark and gray (laughs) um (laughs) and and, like it's a series that can go so fantastical i hope there's like an interesting balance um and i I, one last thing i think to point out about it one of the weird critiques i saw going around was everyone was hating on uh the main character and and bemoaning the fact that you'll have to be him throughout the whole game you immediately get like so much armor i never saw the dude's face like even after (laughs) Like you can just if you if you don't like him, you'll be wearing a helmet within like 15, 20 minutes. Do not worry. Um, you do. You do still have to deal with him yelling Rah! every time true. he he rips someone's head off in execution, which happens a lot. Hey, um, no more. He's a very no more angry said, boy. No more said he wanted to make a game about an angry man. And, you know, finally, finally, we have a story about. An angry <laughs> man. I really you know, there hasn't been enough angry rant. men in the yeah. games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you should really get uh, Michael Douglas from falling down to play it. That would be a hell of a, a, a shout. Into that, the that's Fantasy the kind universe. of like a different sort of anger that I, I feel we don't really see enough of in video games. Like mm-hmm. that, that's a more relatable anger to me. Oh, no, uh, bring, on a, bring on a Michael Douglas game. falling, falling down game. I'd you got to you got to cause as much chaos without killing anybody, you know, right. Like just yeah. go. You're gonna go shoot up the ceiling of a fast food restaurant, but not hurt anybody. <laughs> Lady's gonna throw Knock up her over salad. as many convenience store. Cause, like, cause a man to have a heart attack. <laughs> Lady's anyway, gonna throw up is... in his salad. I'll never. Forget. Welcome to the falling down spoiler cast, uh, <laughs> bringing you the most relevant pop culture topics we can. Now you're gonna uh, die out of here in that stupid little hat. <laughs> 
anyway, moving on from there, uh, a couple of the other games. I, I figure rather than going down the list I made, I, I, I do want to throw it to everyone. Um, and, and Mitchell will come back to you just because you talked about playing uh, the demo as well. But Lucy, wh- what really struck you from this week of like a game coming to PS4, or PS5 that you're interested in? Well, I mean, we're go- we're gonna touch on the big one, right? Like, I'm 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 not gonna spoil that yet. I'm H- Hades. Yeah, no, we're gonna touch on Hades, of course, coming to no, but you should be excited for Hades coming on August. But yes, we'll we'll get to the big one in in just a second. Okay. Um. um I, so, well, I want to say I want to say Kalimi intrigued by Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I think you know, like Avengers, it's promising to do a lot, and that uh, that frightens me a little bit, just because uh, you know, if if you go, if you're sort of doing too much in a game with you know such an enormous sort of inbuilt universe, I worry that it can go a little off the rails. But what really struck me was was the writing in this massive uh demo that we saw like the writing was i'm trying to i'm trying to find the person who actually wrote this game um the writing was exceptional like i was really it was so good that i was actually like oh um okay like this is this is something worth paying attention to because if you don't get those characters right it's 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 like it's embarrassing you know what I mean? Like it, these are characters that you can't get wrong because it's comedy. It's like, it is comedy for the most part. And like this, okay. The writer on the, well, one of the writers, I presume the lead narrative designer is a woman named Mary, uh, DeMarle. Um, yes, so yeah. shout out to her because this is, uh, I was just so, so taken, a, a, a sort of a taken aback by it in a good way. Um, and so, you know, regardless of, of what sort of like gameplay, um, how that all pans out, like I'm, I'm really interested in this just because it feels like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? It feels like an extension of that universe, character models notwithstanding. Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued. I will definitely play this. I'm really happy this is coming out soon. Like, I think one yeah. thing that really didn't do Avengers any favors was how long of a tale that was from announcement to actually being released. And then you know, they're still kind of dropping new content here and there. The fact that this was managed, they managed to keep this a secret and then they're like, hey, it's out, you know, what, October? Like that's October 26th. Yeah, that's October. huge. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this. Also, like, I don't know. I don't know how big this game is. Um, I'm kind of hoping it's it's a shorter experience. I know that's that's um, blasphemous to say, but like, <laughs> I feel like we grew up with licensed games that were, you know, fair. They were shorter. You know, it was like you kind of it was like a you know, like reading a comic or watching a movie, like it was a more of a contained experience. And like, as much as um, I'd, I'd be, I guess I'd rather see more, more frequent Marvel games than really gigantic Marvel games. Like I'd be mm-hmm. super down if this yeah. is like, you know, a 15, 20 hour experience. Um, it's fun. It's, it looks hilarious or it sounds hilarious, I guess, um, which is mm-hmm. really nice. It It's kind of giving me some Mass Effect vibes, but like Mass Effect for the most part is so self-serious. And this is like, I don't know it you're arguing with your idiot shipmates i'm i'm super down for that like that's to have basically a, a dumber mass effect that's um a little a little shorter and it's also silly and it's uh, superheroes I'm, I'm super down totally and it comes from uh for those who don't know it comes from idos the the deus ex developers and so yeah we see a little bit of like character choice and the, and the developers have said that stuff will like the the end of the game will still be the end of the game but like you'll get to have different 
missions play out differently have have character interactions change the way like your your squad talks to you will change based on the decisions you make like one that i think everyone has seen in the trailer and gameplay was like you can choose whether or not to basically throw rocket across a a a gorge to to force him Mm -hmm. to do an action for you and if you do throw him he's not going to volunteer to do something later down the road or things like that so there there will be some changes there but yeah i'm i'm all with you it's i'm like cautiously optimistic as someone who has played and enjoyed parts of Avengers despite the structure of that game. All I ever wanted was short, contained, cool stories with Marvel characters. And if this can be that and kind of be what I hoped Avengers would be and show that it, it can work, that's I, I hope it can succeed in that way. Because, um, yeah, th- I, this I partnership is ongoing. They're doing something novel with um, like they have they have silliness and they have what seems like unique mechanics, um, like the fact that you during a fight, you can like you can give a pep talk or a speech to your team and like depending on what dialogue you choose you can maybe inspire them to fight better and like have everyone have a buff or you can just like put your foot in your mouth and you'll have a buff and the rest of them are like what was that all about um and then there's a whole the whole music thing like they could just they could easily be like it is a completely straight lifted mechanics from everywhere else we don't do anything out of the ordinary it's just kind of like you know, proven systems let's do it but they're like getting a little bit weird and experimental with it which i'm i'm kind of down with um and like i mean we, we've seen licensed music in tons of games and it totally makes sense here because you know what is it peter quill has his has his walkman full of you know classic greatest hits and like this is in this case it seems like they're really i guess game gamifying that which is neat. yeah this episode of podcast beyond is brought to you by nordvpn a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, 
where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Yeah, based on the the team up moves, it's different music that plays and everything. Yeah, I'm I am cautiously optimistic as someone who like dearly loves the the version of the the Guardians that we have in the MCU and and has enjoyed the the comic runs that I've read of theirs. Like, I am I am all for them taking a, a, a risk on this group again uh, and seeing if they can make a, a, a fun story. Especially, it seems like they're they're diving a little bit deeper into the lore for like villains and stuff. So, if, if this is a great take and it surprises us all at the end of the year, I am I am all for it. We'll we'll see how it goes. Um, but moving on from there, Max, I did want to ask uh, you as well. Anything really stood out to you from the last week of games coming to PlayStation? Oh man, I feel like if I say I'm gonna accidentally say something i thought was third party that is in fact a game pass exclusive um i don't know i mean the, the big one the, the obvious one is the elden ring yeah. like uh, that's we the can one get I'm, to it yeah. yeah should we just get, get to get it. into it oh wait wait, wait hold, 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 hold. avatar uh, obviously there's the there one you yeah, go. yeah yeah <laughs> that's right. what we were leading I, you I to i didn't want to talk <laughs> i'm sorry we I were, we were, we were gently just... nudging you towards yeah. avatar so, yeah yeah so uh this is interesting because like i I mean, obviously, I'm like, I like Avatar. I'm the only guy who likes Avatar. I <laughs> I, I feel like just being like, hey, it's, Avatar is pretty cool. I get a lot of people who are like, you're the big Avatar fan. It's like, I can name probably three characters, but like, it's become a running joke. <laughs> um, I'm I'm really curious what this actually winds up being there. I feel like they're saying a lot of stuff that makes it sound like exactly what I want. Like they're saying it's a um, a first person story driven adventure that is open world. And I'm like, that sounds like a Far Cry game, but they're not. They didn't use the word single player. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be a games as a service. Like, I just I have a hunch because that's what, you know, Ubisoft Massive is. Yeah, I mean, Ubisoft does it. Massive did it with um with Division. And it also like it's yeah. the most obvious thing you could possibly do. Releasing a licensed game alongside movies that are coming out every two years for almost a decade. Like mm -hmm. if they're going to if like it's, you know, we used to see the days where it's like, oh, Batman Forever is coming out this summer. Hopefully we have a Batman Forever Game Gear game by November. <laughs> so all the kids who love it can play and you get like crappy shovelware like that. But in this case, it's like they've had plenty of time to figure out what an avatar game is. And, you know, obviously the way games come out now is like they come out and you can keep adding to them. And that mm -hmm. makes perfect sense to do like new content drops aligned with each new movie. I guess I just I I would so much love this to be just a, a world that I go explore on my own. Like, I don't really want to have to buddy up with people and do like, you know, Navi raids or whatever. Like, I don't I don't know what that I, I just hope they don't turn it into sort of like a destiny like type of thing. Um, well, but that's, Max, yeah. you could go go back and play the, the 2009 uh, single player video game. I, could. I remember I remember seeing that oh, at, wow, at my yeah. first ever E3. I, I'm so old. Um, and it was the most heavily guarded demo I've ever been in, like, before. I mean, obviously, it was, like, my first E3, but there were, like, security guards with, like, guns, and James Cameron was there, and, like, you had to put your mobile phones in a bucket. They might have been guarding sort of James Cameron, actually. You know, like. Well, very, <laughs> very, very potentially. I mean, he wasn't, he was just at the show. I didn't actually see him in my demo, but I remember like it was demoed to me and I was expecting it to be like this incredible, like the best thing I'd ever seen just because of the secrecy surrounding it. And it was, it just looked so average. I never ended up playing it, but um, by all accounts, it was, it was very, very average. average. Yeah. It, 
Yeah, I'm I'm like the the more I watch this trailer, the more in my head and and Max, I know we've joked about Avatar a lot on the show with you, but like the more I was watching the trailer, I'm like, should I go back and watch Avatar? Because I kind of like this. Like I throw Avatar on. Like, I feel like there's so many people who just have like really like sour memories about it. And it's easy to hate on something that's popular. I I saw Avatar after everyone else did. I didn't even see it in theaters. I wound up like Mm. pirating it when I was unemployed and watching it on my (laughs) laptop, which is not how James Cameron wanted you to see that movie. And then it was. I think the first Blu-ray I got when I was like, I want to collect Blu-rays. And then I would just throw it on whenever I was having a party because it's like one of those movies they show in Best Buy to show how pretty the TV is. And it's just, yeah. it's cool to look at. Um, but like, as far as it being uh, like video gamey, like it's so ripe for that. Like, and the, oh, the, totally. the first Avatar game came out before Ubisoft had a extremely proven formula for how to make a cool open world game. Like we gripe a lot about, you know, them reusing the same mechanics, but like for the most part, you know, that that kind of stuff works like having, oh, there's an outpost and you got to climb the thing to find the stuff. And then you go looking around for items and there's like random, you know, emergent storytelling encounters because a tiger showed up and started biting everybody. Uh, in this case, it's a universe where you have these like, you know, giant, giant people who have a connection to nature, which could amount to basically magic. They can like bond with animals. And at the same time, there are mechs and like, you know, quadcopters and there's like military tech and it's. It's this entire giant, you know, crazy jungle universe filled with made up animals. And like all of that is completely ripe for gamifying it. Like it's so there's so much opportunity. And it's also like, again, there's one movie. It's not like Star Wars where they have to like go run it by story group. I mean, I'm sure they have to, you know, check with James Cameron. But like it's it's kind of it's it's a pretty it's not a blank canvas, but it's a very big canvas to work on. Yeah, Max, I, think I, they, I don't know if I ever told you this, um, but we used to put Avatar on in the background at parties as well because it was filmed in New Zealand. So all of my friends were extras in it, and so we get like we get wildly, wildly drunk, and then like pause oh on their scenes and because they were all like guards, and we'd pause on their scene and be like, "Oh, you dick, you look so serious." Uh, like that's like <laughs> that's so we just funny. Took the piss. That's amazing. Yeah. See, that's a good reason that's, to put on Avatar. I just was like, that's a very yeah. I have this and a raccoon documentary which should i put on <laughs> <laughs> but no i like max i think you're totally right especially for fitting the ubisoft model like it so absolutely is like oh you can find a different group of navi a little off in the distance in this way and there's like this herd of animals over here they can go fight with and there's a human compound that we have to go take down like it so so totally fits the model and i think they've said like this will be on an unexplored area of pandora's and like we haven't seen it in the movie but like you're absolutely right this is a thing where if ubisoft it succeeds and Ubisoft is like, oh, hey, for Avatar 3, we're adding a new expansion where you go to the area in Avatar 3. Like they can just do that and it makes sense, especially this will be PC and next gen only. It's not coming to PS4 and Xbox One era consoles. So hopefully it, it's it's a little bit future proofed. Yeah, um, it's a next gen game. Oh, yeah. Pro tip. If go anybody ahead. wants to go rewatch Avatar, watch the director's cut because it it has like you know extra bonus scenes or whatever but it also sort of contextualizes what earth is like which i don't think is in the regular theatrical version and it's not like a four-hour cut it's i think it's just like an extra 10 10 or 15 minutes cool yeah um yeah i'm also excited for it because whatever excited disney about it because they inherited this game basically when they bought fox uh we have an interview with uh the like one of the leads of disney games and they were like 
t- seeing them their work on the avatar game was the reason they wanted them to do the star wars game that massive is also working on so you know ho- hopefully that speaks well to whatever way they're using the ubisoft formula but i'm yeah i'm excited for this one um moving on from there before we get to the big one i do just want to briefly mention uh at kickoff live we also saw a death stranding director's cut trailer uh that was very heavily uh obviously as someone who doesn't know the games but i assume very heavily inspired as a goof from metal gear uh with uh sam bridges being very confused about how to use a box to sneak around it if he can that fit trailer, in that box. That trailer it was, so good it was oh, such so a good. troll it was such, such a it. troll and like everyone was like in the and on twitter was like Middle Gear crossed with Death Stranding. You know, everyone jumps to like the most extreme and it's just not, he was just trolling, of course, but it was, it was brilliant. Yeah, I am. Um, I really do love the notion of a director's cut where this is the game that Kojima left Konami to make so that he could have directorial autonomy and make, and that somehow that game wasn't the director's cut. <laughs> um, but, you know, maybe it's also just a fancy way to say DLC and, and I'm so I'm exhausted from playing devil's advocate for maybe Kojima having a master plan on this game. It was definitely like I was kind of let down by it. You know, I think it had some cool stuff in there, but it was like I I maybe was too close to it. Um, That said, I'm really excited to see what Kojima does with uh, a PlayStation five and be more time with the game, because I felt like in a lot of ways it was kind of empty. Like it had also I don't know, he he built a studio from the ground up and then developed this game on a you know existing engine and like it never hurts to have some more time on a game and examine how players are actually engaging with it especially a game like Death Stranding which is you know heavily reliant on you know player cooperation um but also like you look at Kojima's track record for doing kind of follow-up games like I, I guess you could say they are substantial in the Metal Gear sub- substance sense you know he did subsistence and uh you know, putting out basically like a—I don't wouldn't call those director's cuts, but they're kind of the game of the year edition. And it's like, oh, I mean, even going back to the first Metal Gear, there was the VR missions disc, which was like more more of that game. And I guess with the sort of the structure of of Metal Gear games, it's kind of hard because they're generally pretty tight narratively. It's kind of hard to drop like additional missions in there um, mm-hmm. and have it not screw up the whole story or the game structure. But in the case of an open world game, there's like tons of room to throw in random stuff in that world and like just. Like, I don't know if there's going to be suddenly warehouses you've got to raid with stealth tactics and not use boxes like Norman Reedus <laughs> is doing, apparently. It's cool. Do you, yeah. do you think do you think Norman Reedus did the mocap for this? Like someone told him, OK, so you're going to pull this box down. You're going to look at it. And then I want you to jump in the box, stay in there for a couple seconds, then get out and just put the box back on back on the shelf. <laughs> I like I like to think so. I like to. I will, <laughs> And I will say Norman's just like, all right, you're the genius. <laughs> depends on the paycheck. Um, but yeah, the, what's interesting about this one too, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up, I, I'm totally with you, Max. Like, I can't wait to see, like, I think there's a lot about the, the purpose of the game's gameplay to be so experiential and the idea of the haptics and the adaptive triggers and, and the speaker and the 3D audio leading into that as well. Like using the PS5 in interesting ways with this game feels like it could really add a lot to the experience. We'll, we'll definitely have to see. But uh, the the announcement also came with the tease that we'll get more info on it in a few weeks. And so everyone has naturally gone, oh, so the state of play is going to happen in a few weeks because we haven't gotten one yet, right? Um, do do we all feel like that's kind of what this is indicating or are we just going to get a, you know, Death Stranding cut trailer drop that's 10 minutes long and we're all hyping ourselves up for nothing? I hope we get a state of play. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead to topics, but... Um, totally. You know, I think that... Uh, We've heard a lot from everyone else um, in the last, you know, week or so 
And I, I, I want to hear from Sony. I do. Like I, you know, again, I don't want to jump ahead, but I, 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 I want to stay to play. I, I think that that would be great. And I would like to see more than just Death Stranding. Totally. Yeah. I mean, um, like, like last year we had the, what was it? The future of gaming PlayStation reveal, which I think was on, mm-hmm. I think it was June 11th or June 5th. It was some, it was, it was basically. It was when E3 was. Yeah. It was one of these, <laughs> one of these weeks, but um, it's, it's odd to not have, I mean, we had that horizon demo. Uh, I, if we get something, I hope it's another thing sort of akin to the future of gaming thing where it's a bunch of, you know, it's a variety pack. It's a it's a Toys R Us catalog rather than just a deep dive on Death Stranding, because like for the most part, like I. I'll totally mess with Death Stranding director's cut, but I also I don't need to keep track of every little new thing that's being added to it. I feel like that was exactly what screwed it up for me the first time was analyzing those trailers frame by frame. So if I can just be like not paying attention and then, you know, go along, you know, like if, if they roll this into a, a presentation with other games. You know, I'll check my phone or something. I don't want to could you <laughs> to spoil what happens if I pee on the ground in the yeah. game. <laughs> for sure. No, we'll we'll see the end of whatever the director's cut footage is in the release yeah, trailer right. for that game for sure. Um, but of course, yeah, as I mentioned, I also do just want to shout out uh Hades is coming in August to PlayStation. If you haven't played Hades for the love of for the love of Zeus, play Hades. Uh it is just phenomenal. I'm my my girlfriend's now playing through it after she watched me play like a hundred hours, and I can't wait to go back to that game again. Um, but of course, yeah, I think. The the game we're all here to talk about, Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. It finally happened <laughs> after, uh, uh, I guess it's been, what, two years since that reveal trailer at uh, Xbox's E3 in 2019. Uh, we finally got gameplay and a January release date for the game. Uh, we, we got, as Mitchell, you put, and I don't want to steal your thunder too much, but as you put in your sort of rewind, rewind of the trailer, uh, we went from having zero Elden Ring info to having way too much Elden Ring info all of a sudden. It was like such such a leap. And uh, you in particular, you got to speak with Miyazaki uh, from from Software uh, about Elden Ring and about, uh, you know, everything we saw in the trailer, the things that it implied and the things that it showed off gameplay and story-wise. Uh, and so I wanted to start off with you just from like a general, you know, like top view of your discussion with Miyazaki. What, what were like your big takeaways from that discussion and the trailer sort of in tandem? So my big takeaway is that with this game, the, the big thing that Miyazaki and FromSoft wanted to focus on is this feeling of freedom. And that manifests, I think, in a number of different ways. For one, it manifests in that this world is just absolutely huge. It's, it seems bigger than anything that FromSoft has ever, has ever done, mostly in terms of like just how wide it is and the fact that you're actually using a horse to travel to different areas. Um, so there's the freedom of exploration um, there's also a freedom in how you approach combat situations, which they wanted to to harp on. Um, and I think the way that kind of takes hold is the fact that you're able to there there's like a hundred weapon skills in the game, and you're able to take those weapon skills and you're able to apply them to whatever weapon you want. Um, so you can mix and match that. Stealth is a much larger option than it has been in the past, um, with the exception of maybe Sekiro. Like it kind of like I think we I think we're gonna see. The way stealth is handled in this game, we can already kind of see that in the way it was handled in Sekiro. Um, so that's like another aspect of it. Um, and they also said that like you, there's parts where you can just like kind of get by an encounter if you don't want to deal with it. And whether that's by you know finding a way around or you know using what using one of your enemy summons to to find a way through. Uh, that's another thing. There's enemy summons in, the, in this game, so. They they didn't really talk too much about how you're actually able to get these summons, like whether it's something that you find 
or whether it's something like Neo, where every enemy you kill has a chance to drop like their soul or something. And then if they drop it, you get to use that as a summon. Um, but yeah, you can summon enemies and there's a, a whole variety of different enemies that you can use to to help you out. And they all do different things. Uh, Miyazaki said, like, some of them aren't even that useful, but you might just like having them around, which I just think <laughs> is is really, really cool. Um, so, yeah, there's freedom. Basically, what I'm saying is freedom is a big part. And, you know, the, the word freedom in this in this context means a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, it's it's really exciting. Um, yeah. uh, that, that's my, my biggest takeaway. <clears throat> I am. It, it was so great to, to read your review or your interview, excuse me, your review of Elden Ring. Congrats on beating it. Already. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't put a review of Elden Ring having not played any of Elden Ring. <laughs> I'm surprised the subreddit <laughs> hasn't done that already. They've they're way ahead of the game over there. It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> They've made all the lore already, but yeah, um, I, I did want to throw to everyone. I, you know, as the, the newest souls fan, I'm, I'm just excited to play this game. I think. You know, it looks amazing. It looks like more of what I, I have been enjoying about FromSoft games, but as longtime players and more story players of this stuff, uh, Lucy, I'll start with you. What what really excited you about the, the altering footage we saw, other than it being there? Right, right, right. I, I think for me, you know, as with all FromSoft games, um, the the world and the the enemy design is what intrigued me the most um, and excited me the most. I think that FromSoft does weird enemy design better than anyone around and i loved 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 the the amount of hands we saw on these enemies um and just how like utterly bizarre they've gone with them um and I also I, loved Miyazaki's <laughs> description. Sorry, Mitchell, what were you saying? I was just going to say, I am going to walk so precariously around every single pot and vase in this game because of how those, <laughs> those creepy little pot men started walking around. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but, you know, I love, I love Miyazaki's description of these enemies in that, um, especially the ones, you know, the big bosses who you encounter um, as you traverse the, the world. Uh, you know, have been tainted and tarnished by the power of the Elden Ring. And so there's kind of like this duality in them. You know, there's this once upon a time heroism that they still have. And then there's that twisted, you know, power. It's the kind of Smeagol Gollum thing, right? And I, I just, I, I, I really, I, I love, I love it as a concept. I love, um, I just I love how it looks. It's just immediately one of these worlds where I just think I will lose hours and hours and hours in this world, like poking around every single little nook and cranny. Um, because why wouldn't you? I mean, look at it. It's just so stunning. And it's it's kind of wild to me because people, you know, on Twitter were saying things like, oh, it, it looks like a, you know, a last gen game and all this sort of thing. But like I don't, I, I don't play FromSoft games for like their graphical prowess. I play them for their their art design i mean that's that is what this game is giving to me in spades like it looked so unlike anything else we were shown during e3 it's just it's i just think it's beautiful I yeah, can't if, you're, if you're counting the pixels on the wallpaper you're gonna get killed like it's not <laughs> don't look at it too hard you know right exactly yeah also, having... i think it, it, it kind of goes back uh -huh. to that article that tom wrote that we always reference about next gen you know don't keep your expectations in check about next gen we are still in a transitional period where you know the games are still gonna be cross-generation like this game is still coming out on ps4 and xbox one mm -hmm. so it, you know I, I, 
it, if it looks like a, a, a last gen game, that's because it's going to be on last gen. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. uh, Lucy, I'm I'm totally there with you. I um, as someone who's come to these games more recently, like I played Dark Souls Remastered this past year, and like, yes, it looks dated, but you still you get to honor Londo and you and you see the the like majesty of it but also like the sadness of it being so empty and everything and it's like they they know how to convey tone and mood and world like um thematically in in such great ways that yeah like to max's point like you don't need to stand there and count the pixels of this stuff like they they clearly know what they're doing when it comes to character creation and world design and all this stuff but max i, I didn't want to uh, stop you from jumping in Go no ahead. good i mean the thing i'm getting from this First of all, freedom, music to my ears. That sounds wonderful. Also, the fact that there's more than one ways around enemies. I love I love um, the FromSoft games I've played. I do sort of hate when there's just a bottleneck on a boss I'm stuck on. And it's like, it's not like, oh, well, I'll go try another boss or I'll go do something else. It's kind of like you beat this guy or you don't get to eat your dessert. You don't you don't go home like it's just, you know, you can't go past him or whatever. Um, and it sounds like they're it sounds like they're taking a lot from Breath of the Wild. Like I'm not. Like, I feel like just in terms, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm reading into it too much, but in terms of just sort of that level of of freedom and there being sort of an overworld and, uh, you know, different bosses scattered around and how you choose to approach them being fairly open, that sounds freaking awesome. And again, Breath of the Wild is a great example of how you, it, you know, cutting edge graphics don't necessarily mean you're going to have a great game. So uh, this is rad. There's some stuff like I'm trying not to look at it too hard because I want to be I want to be surprised. But again. I'm going to look at it because it's Elden Ring and it's gorgeous and it's <laughs> awesome looking. Uh, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little bit wary about the George R. R. Martin involvement. Like I know he's not like, I don't think he's like scripting the whole thing. He's just kind of helped, you know, create the world. But there was, there was that bit saying that it's going to have a little bit less of a, an obtuse or an abstract story because of his involvement. And I was like, but I like the abstract. I like the, the sort of, <laughs> you know, that sense of, of kind of being an outsider in this world and having to piece it together yourself to have like a, you know, to have a Western author come in and help, I guess, punch that part up. I'm, I'm a little bit, a little bit skeptical, but God, it looks cool. Um, and also like Mitchell, it has, it has co-op, right? Yeah. That's one of the things that, uh, Miyazaki did confirm. One of the things that I, I feel bad that I didn't get to, to ask during, during the interview and just because it didn't really come to me to think of it, I didn't get to ask about PVP, but, uh, co-op is definitely something that, uh, Miyazaki confirmed in addition to being able to summon enemies as like AI companions. You can also still summon in, um, buddies for, for co-op. Mitchell, I just want to say, I saw you copying a little bit of heat about not asking about pvp comments. <laughs> you asked literally everything else yeah. and the fact and the fact that he answered your questions was um, incredible i mean the yeah, interview is very so giving. in depth if you haven't checked it out um please do the full transcript is on ign um and mitchell also as as uh dorno mentioned earlier um scripted a trailer breakdown as well that kind of contextualizes everything a lot more and it's it's such a wonderful watch so please yeah, check it out definitely worth reading and watching all of the stuff from, from mitchell's great interview and and just to touch on the the george R. R. martin stuff mitchell i know you, you talked a little bit with miyazaki about sort of the story and 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 his involvement because to me at least like going into this and having heard his name attached to this the whole time i always just assumed it was like he had a pitch meeting with them they put his name on it because it helps you know, like hype to a certain extent and then moved on from there but uh, you got a little more like insight into the actual relationship of his involvement right yeah, it seems like so. The collaboration was basically uh, George R. R. Martin came up with the the world, 
the the lore, the concept of the lands between, which is the world that Elden Ring take, takes in, um, and kind of like the the history of of what is kind of the spurring moment for the player character, which is basically uh, the Elden Ring used to bless this land, um, and everyone who was in it was was had been given grace by the Elden Ring, but there's a, a select few people that for whatever reason will probably learn over the course of the game lost that grace and were exiled from the lands between there. And they are known as tarnished. Then, you know, years later, a, a historic event happens and the Elden Ring breaks, shatters, its pieces go all over the place. They get picked up by these demigods that uh, are essentially the six bosses of the game that have been kind of warped by the power of the Elden Ring and kind of go into that dichotomy that Lucy was mentioning where they're the heroes and the gods of the old world, but they're also corrupted by this power. Um, and that shattering of the Elden Ring is what calls the player character, the Tarnish, back to the world. And it's kind of, you know, that's kind of the, the, the setting of the beginning of the game where you're, you're brought back into the world by this, this force. And Miyazaki was kind of talking about how he wants the player to kind of think about what that, what that return means uh, to each individual person, person. So, yeah, so... Basically, to sum it all up, George R. R. Martin created the the lore, the, the the starting point, and then From Software has basically been turning that into a game. is is kind of how I understand the collaboration. Yeah, it was like a blueprint, right? Yeah, and then mm-hmm. FromSoft just riffed on that blueprint. Um, yeah. I, I see what Max is saying though as well. Uh, you know, he, there was an answer where he said the characters are going to give you a little bit more mm-hmm. right than the characters in previous games. So it's, yeah. it's less about your own, um, you know, sort of environmental storytelling and your own kind of, uh, assumption and, and theories of these characters and potentially a little bit more overt, but he did also say that, you know, the storytelling in the periphery is something that is very much built into FromSoft's DNA and, and that's not uh, going anywhere. So it'll be really interesting to see how they, they, tread that line um but i i definitely still from that interview feel like it's going to be a from soft experience yeah and he he kind of like you know made that clear like this is you know this is still the same style of storytelling within within the margins and i think as long as miyazaki is making these games it's going to be the same because yeah. that's just how he enjoys experiencing these stories he he doesn't want to feed the player all the information he wants the player to be able to go and discover things at their own pace and even if they don't want to discover any of this lore he wants them to have that choice too i think and, the biggest the biggest george r. r martin contribution is that several of the bosses are sleeping together but they're also cousins <laughs> <laughs> there's uh also unfortunately they don't have the last third of the game oh, <laughs> uh, there it is Anyway, um, no, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. I can't wait to probably, even if I like understand the story, can't wait to go watch the 12 hour lore videos that will be on YouTube after the game comes out to like fully understand the, the world and everything. But yeah, the, I think like the thing that I, I took away from this trailer and, and going back to like your original big takeaway, Mitchell, was just like the, the scope of this thing does feel like as large and as big an evolution as we were kind of all hoping it would be for their 
sort of not formula, but just like what they're known for in and the way they approach um, their worlds and storytelling. Like a thing that I fell in love with, and I know that it's like the meme of it, but like in the original Dark Souls is the way that everything feeds back on your central location, the way that everything connects together. And it was so cool. And so to ha- have the idea that they're going with such an even larger world, but making all of these like distinct areas that will all connect and, and, and give you a lot of sort of world and, and character to explore in there. I'm, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah. Yeah. And to be clear, like, you know, dark souls has always been a series that I I've always viewed as having a lot of freedom, you know, itself. Like that is a game where you can go in multiple different directions right from the start. You can't go everywhere, but the way it kind of, you know, points you to the the proper path is by beating you if you go in a direction that it doesn't want you to go in so if you go like to the the the, the graveyard right away there's these super strong skeletons that will one shot you but if you're if you're good enough to be able to deal with that you'll be able to get some really good loot if you if you go that way um so when i when i look at elden ring and i i listen to what uh miyazaki-san has said about it what i imagine is just dark souls but everything on a much higher scale. So like it's more open, there's more freedom, um, you know, more customiz- customization in terms of your builds. Uh, just everything on, you know, a higher level is kind of how I, I view what he's, he's said about it so far. I am going to be like talking to so many people during the playthrough of this game because I know <laughs> that somehow I'm going to screw it up and just like customize a really shitty build and then just be stuck with it and the whole game will just be ruined for me. So I think this is very much going to be one of those games where like I'm just going to be constantly like texting Max, like texting you guys as being like, you know what what are you playing as like how are you evolving your character like have you got any tips and tricks for me i'd be like it's you must go into the the labyrinth of time and <laughs> get the the forbidden <laughs> right. fetlock to put on the your horse of and he'll run you will imbue you with all the strength you need exactly but that's, <laughs> you know that's one of the reasons why i love playing these games right because there's so much yeah. discovery and so much like there's no even you know even you're sort of playing dark souls 3 like there's still no no real kind of roadmap. Like you're still there's still stuff to be discovered in every new FromSoft game. So, yeah, yeah there's I mean, going to be a lot of texting. I think this is going <laughs> to be basically my first proper FromSoft game at launch. Like I don't, right. I don't know. I guess oh, I guess I try to give Sekiro a shot, but like that doesn't. That's the thing about that game is that I feel like that was very much um, for people who are really good at games. Whereas <laughs> I think the other ones you can you definitely can cheese a lot more, and there's and there's a, like a little bit more. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying here, but um, no, 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 Max, you're right. Yeah. It's like you can sort of like, and this is the way that I feel like some people can play through a FromSoft game and end up like just completely clean and polished and heroic and like flourished into a beautiful kind of demigod. And then there's players sort of like more like you and me who end up like at the end of it, just like like we've been dragged through like a series of bushes, like full of thorns. And we're just like, all our clothes are torn and our yeah. hair's all crazy. And we've got like thorns sticking out of us. But you know, we still got there in the end, right? Yeah. You're just like, I live, yeah. damn it. <laughs> no, I mean, like in the same way that, you know, you, um, you know, the, 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 this game unfolds in this kind of playground logic sort of way where you have to talk to other people about it to figure out what mm-hmm. stuff does. I think the, the summon system is also kind of like asking a big brother to come help you fight a boss. Like it's, totally. it's kind of got that, that level of, I mean, obviously it's over the internet, but it's that level of like, you know, maybe you want someone to, to lend a hand. So ring a little bell or eat that crystal or whatever it is you do in this <laughs> ring one. Ring a little uh, bell. Yeah. Ring a little bell. bell. Um, you, I, I hope you put a ring on yeah. every time. Yeah. 
But only to your cousin, um, who is actually a 17-handed carriage that is pulled by ogres. <laughs> uh, I, so um, one thing about the, about the structure yeah. of the game, sorry, I just wanted to add, but like, Mitchell, what you were saying about it being open, you're totally right, but I feel like the way they're structured is typically like, it's like hallways and paths, you know? Like mm-hmm. you start in one room and there's mm-hmm. like five yeah. different ways you can leave it, and then that mm-hmm. stuff branches out and some of it circles back. In this case, we're seeing a lot of fields. Like we're seeing a lot of mm-hmm. wide open areas, and I get the sense that maybe the approach here has been like, all right, here's the field, let's put like buildings and doors and caves and dungeons and stuff in this field. And then obviously stuff between those things. It's, you know, that it's, mm-hmm. I think it's still very much going to have the FromSoft approach, but I hope that it's, uh, I guess I hope that it's, as opposed to going north or south, you're like, well, maybe I want to go at sort of like a 45 degree southeast angle and just wander off and see what's <laughs> down this way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So my understanding of the way this world is, oh, sorry, did I interrupt you? No, no, go ahead. Uh, what I was just going to say, uh, my understanding of the way this world is set up is that there's six lands that uh, kind of make up the, the main bulk of of the lands between. And you can't go to everyone at once. Like there is an order. Um, but within each of those lands, there's like a, a mainline dungeon that kind of is, you know, your your main destination. And then alongside of that, there's like castles, catacombs and other optional areas that you can explore and usually will have like some sort of really cool reward like weapons um maybe a, a magic spell etc cetera, etc cetera. um so that's kind of the structure of it and then Miyazaki also said that there is a hub world but or a hub area that connects you to all six of these areas but it's not accessible right from the start from the start but it's not you know it's not like demon souls where it's like you you no. which which portal do you want to go through or whatever is, definitely not yeah, yeah. that's that's definitely a, a bit more of a, a limited structure than it seems like we're going with here yeah mm-hmm. i am i am immensely excited for this i have a feeling we'll be talking a lot more about elden ring in the months to come if we see more if not we'll be talking about it a ton in january because the game is has a release date for january which is kind of nuts but uh we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on it but yeah as as we said go check out mitchell's interview go check out the uh trailer re- rewind breakdown of it all uh there's a lot of great info in there if you haven't seen it already um moving on before we we sort of talk about what we've been playing i do want to touch briefly on sort of a thing that lucy was alluding to earlier which is just a general like now that we are past e3 we're recording this literally the day after e3 has ended uh playstation wasn't there um this is not a new thing for them they skipped 2019 they've they've sort of clearly wanted to you know stake out their own path but this was sort of a you know the industry coming back together sort of year was what i think this e3 was trying to accomplish but e3 or but playstation set out uh lucy i want to start with you do you feel like that was the right move also i'm going to briefly be off camera but don't worry i'm still here and listening okay (laughs) um yes i i mean the right move is kind of not really like uh it's neither the right move or the or the wrong move um i think that you know e3 is kind of increasingly becoming it has been for a long time now and it it felt more like this this year than ever before um just completely disjointed um and i don't think that sony needs to be there i don't think that anyone really needs to be at e3 in anymore uh i think that like I, you know, Nintendo does its directs, and Xbox has its. Um, I forget what they call them. Uh, State of plays, or no, that's Sony. Uh, inside showcases yeah. inside Xbox, right? Um, and you know, people can do digital events whenever they want, right? And like, I, I sort of feel like Sony has made its its kind of footprint now with State of Play, 
Um, and I think we just need to continue to see state of plays, right? Like, I, I don't think, I don't think, even though there's so much attention paid to E3 and like, I'm not negating that. Um, I just don't think it has the relevancy to publishers anymore uh, that it did even, you know, I'm not even talking like, like it hasn't had relevancy to publishers for, for a while now, I would say. Not, not a huge amount, not, especially not like it used to. Um, and while it's really cool to see, you know, the big Xbox showcase and the big Nintendo showcase and, and, and uh, direct, um, that was cool. But like they could do that at any time. You know, I, and and like I just don't think Sony needs to be there. Yeah, I mean, it was still, I still wanted, I still want Sony to talk to me. I mean, you know, I I'm a I'm a PlayStation person, um, and I I I want more news and and trailers and all that sort of thing. I just don't think E3 is like I don't think they need to be there. Essentially, that's my long winded take. <laughs> No, I, I very much understand where you're coming from. It's it's one of those things I after I think the Xbox conference, I just put out a tweet genuinely curious about how people felt. And there was a a a couple like through lines of thought uh, about people's feelings of whether or not Sony should have been there or not. And and it kind of boiled down to either. No, they didn't need to be there because like you were saying, they can command the stage whenever they want to like they're I'm pretty sure their their concurrence on the PS5 showcases last year both like trounced any of the shows at E3 this year like they and probably most state of plays where they're going to show God of War or Horizon will do that. Um, I, they they just have that cachet right now. And I think whether or not that's the right move to be sort of like isolated from everyone, they know they can do that. But another interesting thread that I saw developing was a lot of people also saying E3 is supposed to be this moment for everyone coming together. And so I wish they were here because they should be here alongside everyone else. Um, and it's it's an interesting thing of like that is sort of the reason people enjoy E3 and the coming together of every different group, uh, you know, within the industry, no matter what platform you're playing on or whatnot. But I don't like PlayStation just doesn't see the reason to play by those rules at the moment for better and worse. Uh, Max, what did you think about their decision to? I mean, I totally get it. I wish there was, um, I don't know, some a little more, hey, the lights are on kind of thing, like maybe drop a little a state of play that's about more than just Horizon, um, you know, in advance or whatever. I mean, I think we're probably going to get something this summer at some point. Um, I'd be very surprised if we didn't. But yeah, I mean, E3 is kind of like, E3 is like high school reunions when everyone's friends on Facebook. And <laughs> if you want to go to your high school reunion and announce that you're pregnant, you could do that. I mean, if you're pregnant, you know, that's great news. But people are going to be kind of sidetracked with whatever else is going on. Whereas if you pick like a random Thursday, hop on Facebook and go, guess what, everybody? We're pregnant. People are going to be like, oh, crap, that's awesome. But like it's it's kind of like we talk about like E3, like it's a great place. Everybody comes together and it's like it's a trade show. You know, like mm -hmm. everybody coming together is incidental. It's a place for uh, companies to show what they hope to sell in five months. Like mm -hmm. it, it is a it is a, a it serves financial purposes. And like the, you know, companies pay obscene amounts of money to have booths on the show floor. And I, you know, I can't imagine that that really seems like if you if you manage to, you know, get through 2020 and still get people excited about your games and get in front of investors and, you know, like games definitely didn't suffer last year, despite there being no E3. So maybe, maybe the companies, I don't know, saving a few million bucks on, you know, those giant banners that go across the entire convention center and maybe spending that on the game itself or just, I don't know, buying their employees better chairs at home. Like, I don't, I don't know what, what actually goes on, but it's just, it's sort of, 
I mean, E3 as as a as a industry gathering is obsolete. I think having gaming events for fans, there's still plenty of room for that. And obviously, uh, you know, Gamescom is a perfect example of that it's grown, you know, exponentially since it since it first started. Uh, but yeah, like as far as an, as a trade show, like E3, I don't think knows what it wants to be exactly. And that's uh, pretty much demonstrated by what we saw this last week. Like, I feel like the amount of information that was on display could have been compressed into probably two pretty tight days, but it was kind of spread out a lot more than that. Yeah. And like, we definitely saw some really muddy, like showcases, you know, Capcom's was just, what was that? You know, like what, what sort of, what was the point of that? And I felt so bad for the host on stage. I mean, she wasn't on stage, but like the host kind of (laughs) having to lift up this kind of fairly redundant content (laughs) Um, and you know, Square Enix wasn't a hell of a lot better. Um, it just felt like they were scrambling to show something where they didn't need to, where it could have yeah. been done in much more elegant ways. Um, and it, it it felt it felt like trying to recapture something that just wasn't can't be recaptured. I know that sounds really like like a, a hell of a lot. Like it's like a bummer of a statement, but. I mean, you, you know, I was just watching it. I was just like, what is this? Who is this for? Uh, you know? As we're recording this, you're reading through the bummer of a statement that I've written for the website. Uh, <laughs> True. That'll, that'll go up at some point. But yeah, I am. Um, yeah, it's, it's that strange thing of there. there is an absolute magic to everyone being together. But I think, Max, you make the really good point of like us all being together and going through, you know, in the trenches of the war room to cover all the shows and everything is not just an e3 thing that can happen at gamescom that can happen at another show and i all of the the conferences this year yeah i I think to lucy's point earlier microsoft and nintendo could have done those showcases any time of year and it would have probably had just as big an impact and and they were both great conferences i I do want to say like they were both really good like i'm not complaining like they were there were some duds but microsoft and nintendo had, had great showcases yeah, and, and Capcom and Square, I think they felt the pressure to be E3 showcases, but didn't have the things to make an E3 showcase. And and not that the games that were shown were in any way bad. It was just the fact that like they they put too much into a show that had too few games. I have a theory. I have a theory yes. about this. I believe that the reason Capcom and Square's showcases suffered is that they have stuff that Sony wants to show off. I did want to bring this up. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. if you look back at it, Resident Evil Village, um, Final Fantasy 16, both revealed during the PlayStation 5 announcement. Uh, I, I imagine when you make a deal for something like that, it's not just a one-off instance. It's kind of like, you know, we've got a brand new AAA game. It's going to be cross-platform. But mm-hmm. which platform do you want to, you know, align it with marketing-wise? That always That's always the case. We see this all the time. Um, I, I mean, I feel like we're going to see... Like, we saw the Final Fantasy 7 reveal on a sony stream we didn't see that on a square enix stream like that was on sony's big you know playstation presentation and uh i think it's a little weird that we we did have uh that you know that square presentation with like major stuff noticeably absent with not even like a passing mention to it Mm -hmm, and then capcom's resident evil thing which made me literally burst out laughing because it was (laughs) <laughs> the marketing equivalent of when I go, oh, hey, sorry, just seeing this. This got buried in my inbox. Like, they know that Resident Evil 8 sold, and I feel like they probably knew they were going to make DLC. So to be like, oh, oh, sorry, I, yeah, I missed this notification. Yeah, we're going to, we'll get we'll get right on that. You know, sure thing. I Yeah, we wrote in the text, forgot to hit send. Crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the, those yeah. two in particular, I'm, I'm totally with you. It's <clears throat> on the square side, like you said, there was not a passing mention of 16 and Forspoken or anything about 7 Remake, even though the DLC was coming out this week. Like they, they really just didn't. I, it might have been in there for a split second forgive me if it was but like they really didn't focus on any of the future of all those big games capcom literally other than the two games really that they showed off uh ace attorney and, and monster hunter stories too they don't have any other announced games than pragmata which was shown at that first ps5 showcase they didn't mention it during during this thing at all either we were in a very weird place where sony probably has some agreements to have the first you know, uh, the first right of refusal or showcase for, for those types of games. M Mitchell, how, how did you feel about sort of Sony's absence? I want to make sure you get a chance. Um, I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of setting the, the the kind of stage for a lot of other developers to kind of also make this maybe exit from, from E3. Uh, the Capcom, Square, and Bandai Namco. Bandai Namco only showed uh, the, the Dark Pictures anthology on their on their thing. Um, it really felt like there was some sort of business agreement that these these companies were all kind of just satisfying by doing the least possible thing that they can do. Like, you know, if you think of what what are the least exciting announcements that Capcom can put forth for an E3, I would say it's Ace Attorney and Monster Hunter Stories. Not be, not to, you know, shame those games. They're great. But it's just it's not the kind of thing that really gets people excited when you have things like. Street Fighter 6, you know, Dragon's Dogma 2, all these other games that people are pretty sure Capcom is working on. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, it just felt like they were they were doing the bare minimum of their con contractual contractual ob obligation to be at E3. Um, and they have, like Max said, they're saving some of the other stuff for something else, whether that's, you know, Sony showcase, whether that's their own showcase. Um, I don't know. It just it, this this was a weird E3. It, it kind of felt like the end of of an era almost and you know maybe next year we'll see the beginning of something else whether it's summer game fest or you know just a bunch of developers doing their own events i wonder if like microsoft's doing a extended it was a games showcase extended director's cut yeah that's or whatever like it's i wonder if this is microsoft testing the waters to see what it what happens if you do have an event outside of e3 because e3 yeah. is yeah. you know effectively over uh the Bandai Namco stuff was weird. Like the Dark Pictures thing, that was that was announced during Xbox, right? Um, uh, I get this, I, this was this was a separate event that happened. I no, think I, yesterday I saw that one, but that game had already been announced previously. Oh right? yeah, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. it's yeah. been known for a little while. I think that event was originally listed on the E3 side as just Bandai Namco presents, and mm -hmm. then then they clarified that it was just that game because oh, people weird. were getting their hopes up. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I've we've seen for years now. Uh, Bandai Namco is kind of they've they've buddied up with uh, with Microsoft and we got we get their big sort of licensed anime game reveals during those streams, like whether it's, you know, Jump Force or DBZ Kakarot or whatever. Um, so I wonder if we're going to see like I wonder if the if the thing tomorrow is going to be extended looks at the stuff that Microsoft already showed or if there's going to be some new stuff sprinkled in there and, you know, they get to see how much mileage it gets or it just didn't fit in the existing, you know, allotted time they had previously. Yeah, say. I mean, we know during that show that like Ninja Theory will be there um, and uh, Hellblade wasn't at the conference. So we're, we're likely to see some stuff there that wasn't at their show. But yeah, I do think you're totally right. I think it's definitely them testing the waters, especially now that they own the Microsoft Theater next door. Like at E3 2019, they moved off the show floor and, and put mm -hmm. their showings over there. So we're in a very weird transitional period. I think PlayStation 
skipping made a lot of sense, but what it means for the future, I think it, it'll raise a lot of questions that we'll see kind of play out in the months and year to come. Um, as, as we sort of get into wrap up of things, I do also briefly want to mention uh, there is an unboxing on IGN of the two new DualSense controllers. I apologize if you can see some flex of uh, uh, a, mm. uh, a paper towel that I used to try to wipe on off so you didn't see handprints. Uh, but these are the two new DualSense colors. Uh, this is the Midnight Black and the Cosmic Red. Um, I was all in on the, the Midnight Black before they were released because I thought it looked like a DualSense, but as or it looked like a DualShock, but a DualSense. But I've actually really grown to love the... Uh, cosmic red it's weirdly the lighting betrays it but it's actually more of a like a berry red it, it's sort of a warmer red than than like the spider-man ps4 playstation special edition was uh i actually really really like this color a lot uh in terms of like the first dual sense that they've shown off uh i i actually really love this one i don't know why it's five dollars more it's five dollars more expensive than the midnight black for some reason the red they have to crush up with the red pigments to get it in there what is that's True, not that remotely is, cosmic they should have called that, that like red works. exotic gentleman's pool table red like what is that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. well it's both of the colors and sorry you can see the the flex there both of them are like it's midnight black and cosmic red to be like space themed i don't know why that has nothing to do with what i think of playstation but nonetheless they are cool colors uh that you can go check out like a close-up unboxing of on ign uh so so definitely go check that out uh if you are interested in picking one of those up uh before we wrap up i do just want to mention briefly mitchell you reviewed the final fantasy 7 remake episode intermission dlc is that the name is that the correct name final fantasy 7 remake integrate episode inter it's all capitalized mission i'm used to Kingdom featuring Hunt, so. yuffie arcade yeah, edition it's not a surprise to me that that's what they went with. Um, I'm about halfway through it. I finished chapter one, uh, and I am amazed I even did that because I couldn't stop playing Fort Condor. But I just wanted you to give your brief thoughts on the the DLC. Uh, this is a really good DLC. Um, you know, it, it is kind of short in terms of the actual story content. You can probably get through it in about four hours if you don't uh, spend all your time in Fort Condor, uh, which you should because Fort Condor is awesome. Um, but yeah, it, I think, you know, Yuffie is is kind of the star of the show here. She's just an awesome character. She's adorable. She's hilarious. She's like supremely confident in everything she does, which is just really funny to watch. Um, and she's just kind of a badass. And then also, you know, you got Sonon, who's who's a really cool new character that they add as well. And they got a really good dynamic of like almost, you know, big brother, little sister and the big protective brother who's like just like constantly flabbergasted how you know headstrong and crazy Yuffie is. Um so yeah, it's it's a it's a really fun DLC. They they added a new combat style for Yuffie, which which I described in my review as being like they just dropped a platinum games character in Final Fantasy VII remake. Um she's got like uh you get rewarded for for doing a perfect a perfect block um in that you can completely negate damage. So, like, if you're really, really good, you can, like, you know, wreck people even without having, you know, the level up advantage just by just by blocking all their attacks. Um, you have, like, a special dodge. that If you use it at the right time, you gain your ATB back. So it's very action game heavy, which I obviously really like. This is a Mitchell Saltzman game, as Max would say. <laughs> you, are, you are eating well at the moment, my friend. I am eating very well right now. Um, yeah, this is this was a lot of fun. You know, uh, 
you know, the a lot of comments are like, well, why don't you give it a nine then? Uh, <laughs> and I think the the reason for that is that it is just a four hour experience for the main the mainline game. And even though there are these great side activities, I highly recommend checking out, you know, the the quality of the four hours you have when you're playing the main game, and the quality that you have when you're playing the rest of it. They're not exactly the same, even though it's still worth going through. You know, the, the real meat of the, the of the DLC is is that four hour experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's great. It's just not, you know, an absolutely amazing kind of thing. But by, by nature of it just being DLC, I wish this was a full game. I wish Yuffie was part of the main cast. And God, I cannot wait for part two of Final Fantasy seven remake. Well, you'll definitely have to wait, most likely. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I, I think it's worth saying you're calling it great. Like, it is really great DLC. I'm I'm playing through it. It is very sort of like, not in a bad way because the combat is so great, but also in, in somewhat of a criticizing way. Like, it is pretty repetitive in terms of like, it is essentially just like, especially the second half is like a lot of just challenge room after challenge room after challenge room. Like, it is very, mm-hmm. um, it is not that like interestingly paced, I think like, moment to moment of like the scenarios they're introducing you to but like as you were saying the core combat with yuffie is so fun that it it makes that a really pleasant experience that's at least how like i've been taking it so far um for sure but yeah like you said the side stuff is so fun please square if you're listening i will pay good money to play a fort condor spinoff i don't i like (laughs) it probably would be free to play and you'd have crazy monetization i would sadly probably indulge uh it's really fun if you play the dlc don't skip on that mini game because it's a lot of fun um but unfortunately we're we're pretty much out of time uh we can definitely tune in uh, in the coming weeks because it'll be a little lighter to talk about some of the stuff we've been playing otherwise but uh before we leave you can find us all on twitter i'm at jm dornbush mitchell is at jurassic rabbit lucy is at luce o'brien and max is at max scoville uh mitchell is there anything else other than uh your final fantasy uh (laughs) review your uh miyazaki interview and all the other amazing stuff you've been doing during e3 you want to point people toward um uh i I don't have it up yet, but if you're interested in that playthrough that I was talking about for the Final Fantasy uh, Origins demo, I'm going to have a gameplay video of that up on the IGN YouTube channel and IGN.com. Awesome. So uh, Lucy, anything you want to point people to from oh, this crazy God. week? <laughs> well, it's just, it's still ongoing, isn't it? it um, is. I mean, you know, any of our trailer breakdowns, um, any of our op-eds, we've spun out a lot. Uh, Dorna, you've got you've got a big piece going up that uh, will hopefully be up by the time this goes live. Um, just, just so much stuff. It's a lot. <laughs> it's, been, it's just been a lot, a lot of content. We've got roundups, you know, yeah, just heaps of footage breakdowns and stuff like that. And uh, Max, what about you? Uh, last summer, Brian and I did a very silly man-eater let's play where we were dressed like fishermen, and apparently the people at Tripwire liked it, and they had us do it again, but with night costumes, so we played around in Chivalry <laughs> 2, and we're throwing roast chickens at each other and flying off the catapults, and had like a legitimately good time. Um, so go check that out, it's very silly. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a very fun game, so... <laughs> 
yeah. living your best life. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, as, as Lucy said, there's a ton of like big feature breakdown stuff that is still continuing to go up on IGN um, from across the team. Everyone's doing incredible work. So please go check all of that stuff out on IGN and YouTube. Uh, but in the meantime, that is going to wrap us up for this week's episode of Podcast Beyond. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, Lucy. And thank you, Max, for joining me for this week's episode. And thank you, as always, to Red, our producer, for making the show happen and listening to our shenanigans. Uh, and thank you, of course, to everyone out there listening and watching. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond. Yeah. Beyond. Beyond. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.